likes you, nobody thinks you're wanted, you know, you're not wanted, or, or not being invited to somebody's birthday party, you know, the whole, all the rest of the kids are going, but you didn't get invited. You know, those sort of things, as children especially. You know, we want to be, we want to be liked, we want to be with the other kids, we want to hang out, we want to be included. You know, it's part of our nature. You know, um, we want to be with people that are like-minded. You know, that's one of the things that Monterey CSL offers, you know, is that we're with a community of like-minded individuals. We're with people that think like we do and feel like we do, you know, and believe about the world the same way that we do. You know, think about the groups that you're involved in or the places that you volunteer or if you're in a book study group or if you're in a book club or, or you volunteer somewhere or if you're in a support group or, or whatever that is, you're with people that are kind of your people, right? Like your tribe. These are my people, right? And that feels good to have that connection. It feels good to have that. Uh, this is a quote from Stephen Knight for the, from the Be Human Project. And he says this, he says, at our core, we humans are tribal. Constantly, our subconscious is bombarded with cues that identify who is us and them. Perceived similarities of status and value make it much more likely that we will connect and form lasting bonds with our fellows. This tendency has tremendous survival value. Without strong cohesion, human groups ranging from the hunter-gatherer societies to business organizations and even modern nation states would not adequately be able to meet the constant challenges we face. You know, so we, that, that's kind of in us. We're, we're, we're born to be that sort of tribal person, to be with people, you know. Alone but not lonely. You know, alone but not lonely. What does that look like? What does that feel like? Jean-Paul Sartre says, if you're lonely when you're alone, you're in bad company. <laughs> right? If you're lonely when you're alone. You know, are we alone or are we lonely? I mean, what's the difference, you know? When I'm alone, when I'm alone, you know, I'm just doing my own thing. I'm hanging out, everything's good. I'm good with my thoughts, I'm good with my environment. I'm just alone, I'm just hanging out, you know, I'm okay. But when we're lonely, you know, it's different. We're discontented, we're sad, we're not okay with the way everything is around us. You know, we feel like we're missing out on something or we should be doing something else. You know, whether we've chosen to be alone or not. Whether we've chosen to be alone or not. Sometimes uh, a severe uh, or a sudden death. You know, we're alone not by choice. You know, or somebody leaves us or we make the decision to leave our relationship. You know, even if it's our choice, we can still be lonely. We can still be lonely. There's a story, Marty Robards was a woman, Marty, and she lived in Colorado. She lived in the Colorado area, and her husband passed. And about two years after his passing, she really felt like she had the, the alone thing down. She had gotten used to being single. She had gotten used to being by herself. She still was in the home that they lived in together. And uh, one night she was watching television, and she was sitting in her living room, and she was watching TV, and her little chihuahua was with her. And uh, she had settled in when she heard a noise at her back door and then at her window and she sure heard a sharp tugging on her back door and she heard a pounding on her window and she got afraid and with her bravest voice she said go away 
go away. And she thought for sure the TV was loud enough and the lights were on outside. And surely they knew that somebody was at home. You know, and she quietly got up and looked out the window and she said there was two men that were trying to break into her home. And they were so brazen that they stood in the back of her yard and shined the flashlight out her instead of running away. And she called 911 and they came, you know. And, and that sort of unraveled her okayness with being alone. Right? The very next day, she put in a security system into her house and, uh, and she never quite felt the same. She never quite felt the same as that security that she had felt previously to that. You know, and she said it reminded her of that song, One is the Loneliest Number. One is the Loneliest Number. Remember that song? And, uh, and slowly, you know, time went by and she was adjusting, and she was okay, and she had her security system, but she still had this sense of not being really safe all the time, you know? And, and several months later, it was winter in Colorado, but she said it was an unusually warm winter. Snow hadn't fallen yet, and you could go outside with just a light jacket. And, and again, it's about 9, 9.30 at night, she was sitting in her living room, uh, pulled out her laptop to play a few games before she went to bed. Again, her little chihuahua was with her. And she heard a noise again in her backyard, and she thought, oh, no, not again. Not again. You know, and her little chihuahua sat up, but he didn't growl, and he didn't bark, but he was alert, right? And she slowly got up, and, and then she heard the spigot in her backyard go on, you know, the hose. And she thought, what is this? So she turned off all the lights in the house, you know, to look outside to see, and she saw her hose was stretched across her yard. And she thought, what is this? And in her fear, she thought, oh, are they trying to lure me outside? You know how our imagination goes. And, and then she got her flashlight, and she flashed it outside, and she saw two teenage boys run across her yard, and they waved at her to come out. And she was, like, not so sure about that. And again, she called 911, and uh, she said um, what was going on, and the lady on the 911 said, do you live by Cherry Park? And she said, yes, my house backs up to Cherry Park. And the lady said, well, there's a fire that's been reported in that area. You know, and the lady said, well, hold on. And she went outside uh, with her phone and kept 911 on the line. And she saw that there was a gentleman with her hose that was hosing down her seven-foot tree that was burnt to the ground, as long as uh, some other bushes in her home. You know, and uh, soon the policeman came and the firemen, and the firemen took over hosing down the rest of the fire. And, and, and the policeman said to her that it was the fifth arson fire that had been started that day. You know, and the gentleman with the hose, he said he was driving home up the street and he saw flames 15 feet into the air. And so he ran across the park and he ran and jumped over her fence and turned on her hose and put the fire out. And the teenage boys ran to assist him. So this while, these three good Samaritans were there in her yard to help her. You know, what she thought, she thought, what if they hadn't have done that? I mean, what would have happened? My house would have burnt down. You know, and she came to that place of knowing that she wasn't alone, right? That even though she no longer had her husband, even no longer she had somebody living in her home, that there was community. There were people, you know, there were people, you know. So she was able to shift her thinking a little bit, you know, to realize that she had people that had her back, people that had her back, that people were good. And... Uh, able to move on with her life. There's a gentleman, Clark Moustakis, he's a psychologist, a teacher, a professor. He, uh, his study was on loneliness. And he has this to say in his book on loneliness and love. He suggests that there's a higher purpose to loneliness. That when we're lonely, that there's actually something that we can really get from that. 
He says, being alone is a necessary pause. Being lonely is an ultimate condition. Being alone implies an evolution or continuity of experience, while being lonely means a total radical change. Being alone is a way back to others. Being lonely is a way back to ourselves. You know, can we be alone and not lonely, right? Yes, we can, we can, because the truth is, is that we're never alone, right? We're always immersed in and surrounded by the divine, right? But it doesn't do us any good if we can't feel it, if we don't know it, if we don't believe it, it doesn't do us any good to know that God is always with me, that I'm never alone, that spirit is with me, that there's no place that God and I are not, right? There's no place, there's no separation, because God is the very essence of our being. So there's no place we can go that God is not at. Right? Ernest Holmes in our Science of Mind textbook, he says, who would entertain the Christ must invite him. There's a concept, huh? He does not come unbidden nor sit at any man's table an unwelcome guest. Neither does the divine presence force itself upon any. It stands at the door and knocks. We must open it if we are to receive. But how can we receive unless we first believe? We must believe that Christ indwelleth our own lives and stimulated all of our actions, for without it we can do nothing. To realize within oneself a divine presence, a perfect person, is to recognize the Christ. No man ever walks life's road alone. There is ever another who walks with him. This is his inner self, the undying reality. We never walk alone. Now, as we learn to embrace being alone, we learn to find peace. You know, that peace that Emmett Fox was talking about, right? Clark Moustakis says, Solitude is a return to one's own self when the world has grown cold and meaningless, when life has become filled with people and too much of a response to others. Solitude is as much an intrinsic desire in man as his gregariousness. Hermits, solitary thinkers, independent spirits, recluses, although often stigmatized in the modern world, are healthy expressions of man's dialogue with himself. Do we find it so much easier to be quiet when we're alone, <laughs> right? To hear that still small voice when we're alone? We're in the solitude when we withdraw to that inner sanctuary, wherever that is, if it's a physical place, if it's just a quiet time, if it's just a time out in the office, if we just close our door for five minutes and just be, allow ourselves to breathe or allow ourselves to know, you know, that we have within us all that we need in every moment, right? To just move into that silence. It's in the silence that we find God. It's in the silence that we find spirit, source, love, whatever name it is that you want to call it, universal intelligence, whatever that is to you, we find it in the quiet. We find it in the quiet. You know, what a joy it is to spend a day alone for me today. I remember when my children were small and they first went to preschool. Can any of you moms relate? You're like, hallelujah, right? I was a stay-at-home mom, and so it was like the first time in a few years that I'd had a moment of quiet, and even though it was only kindergarten in a few hours, boy, I cherished it. My favorite thing was to be home alone. 
I love just walking around my house, being alone, without anybody saying, Mom, 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 I had to go to the car dealership the other day, and uh, I was sitting in the waiting room waiting for my oil change, and this mother, God bless her, it made me so grateful my children were bigger. You know, these two little children were with her, and they were playing on the toys, and I think every 30 seconds, Mom, 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 you know, it's just, I don't know, it's just one of those jobs, 24-7. So to have that quiet time, to have that time to be alone is one of the things that I just cherish today. It's a time for me that I talk to God. It's a time for me that I get inspiration. It's a time for me that I can hear. I don't know about you, but I do a lot more talking than I do listening. You know, So to take that time, designated time to just listen, to turn it all off, to put down the technology, to turn off the, the television, to turn off the radio, to turn off everything and just be. I suspect that the monks and the, the nuns and those that live in monasteries and, and convents, you know, have discovered that, you know. They've discovered that that is quiet, living in that quiet, you know. I'm a little bit jealous, you know, to just be there, you know, to be there, to just be in that quiet and just spend your days communing with the divine. I have a meditation book that I found, uh, no, it was gifted to me actually almost 30 years ago, and it's from a woman, and I've tried to do some research and figure out who she is and what she was about. She was obviously a new thought writer. She comes from the 20s and the 30s. That's when she did her writing. In one of our little pamphlets I found here at the church, her name is listed with some other people's names, which is the first time I've ever seen her name listed, Eva Bell Werber. Eva Bell Werber, if you've read any of her books, she has four meditation books, and they were um, things that were given to her in her meditation. The books are written from that perspective. And this one is from Quiet Talks with the Master. It's called Be Still. Be still, not as any stillness you have ever known before. The stillness which lies at the bottom of the ocean, eternally quiet, yet eternally vibrant and alive with infinite activity. You must learn to keep this stillness to retreat to it at any moment whenever any confusion arises in your physical or mental world. Thus shall any difficulty solve themselves by my power working through you. Learn to be still instantly and watch God's power work. In this potent stillness are all demonstrations made. You see, we don't have to do anything. We don't have to run around and fix it. We don't have to run around and change outside conditions. Our job is to change the inside, to get quiet, to hear, to listen. You know, being in solitude is very different than being lonely. It's very different than being lonely. To be alone can be a purely cognitive or intellectual experience and a rel relatively insignificant fact of life. But it can also be a crucial time in one's life, a time for meditation, writing, painting, or any other activity that becomes more concentrated by the aloneness. Being alone for me usually means an opportunity to think, imagine, plan, I choose to be alone because I desire to be quiet for a while, to consider aspects of my life, and think about possibilities for action. Again, Moustakis. Moustakis from his book. Do you ever go down to the ocean and just sit? 
Do you ever go down in the ocean, especially here? You know, we have that opportunity to just go down and sit and listen to the power of the ocean. We don't have the big waves here, but you can still hear it, you know, and you can see it. You see the life taking place in the ocean, the otters or the sea lions, whatever we're seeing out there, you know, and the beauty. When you sit there, don't you feel the divine? I mean, don't you feel that there's a power greater than you going on here? I mean, something else is happening, right? You know, and to be there in that silence and to listen and to take it in, how nurturing it is to our hearts, to our minds, to our bodies, to just be there and to drink it in. In the solitude, we can know God. You know, and if there's no better reason to get quiet, right, to feel to feel that connection. I'll finish with Ernest Holmes. The universe holds nothing against us, no matter how many mistakes we've made. We are still perfect beings within, and this within may become the without. If we will carefully train ourselves to listen to the inner voice of truth, which speaks to us in our moments of quiet and solitude. Alone, but not lonely. God bless you. So glad that you're here today. Thanks for joining us. Glad that you're here.